0: Welcome to Talking New Energy, a podcast from LCP Delta. I'm John Slow,
1: And I'm Sandra Trutin. And together, we are exploring how the energy transition is unfolding across Europe through conversations with guests from the leading edge of the transition.
0: Hello, and welcome to the episode. Hi, Sandra. Hi, John. Sandra you're joining us from uh, another event you're very busy with events at the moment it's that time of year I guess
1: yeah I think it's the it's the energy autumn season right it's like September October where everyone is getting really really busy
0: you're certainly throwing yourself into it
1: exactly (laughs)
0: Um, so today we're going to well there's a saying that money makes the world go round and that's can certainly be applied to the energy transition
1: Yes, and uh, what what we see right there is a full remake of the energy system. We have to go from the old energy system into the new energy world, and this will require a lot of money in terms of new business models, uh, new assets, new processes, new teams. So a lot to do.
0: Yeah, and I guess it's not all brand new. In the energy has been flowing, or investments has been flowing into the energy sector for decades, but that's been supporting large fossil power plants energy networks and so on what we're seeing now is that investment required is changing in nature as the energy tr- transition gathers pace and the nature of those investments changes
1: exactly and this will also need uh, some training and let's say some communication between the investment side and also the new energy world um, because both sides will have to learn from each other to better understand what the real need is
0: and that makes it even harder as we're finding our way forward with the energy transition because it's not clear mm-hmm. it's not predictable it's not certain so uh, in today's podcast we've brought together a couple of uh, colleagues from LCP and LCP Delta to explore how these worlds are meeting the energy transition world and the uh, the investment world so let's say hello uh, first Mark Watts who sits in LCP's investment team hello Mark Hi, John. Um, Mark, can you give us a quick intro to your own background and, in a nutshell, your role at LCP?
2: Sure. Um, well, I'm a, I'm a partner at uh, LCP on the investment side, and I've spent most of my career on what we term as the buy side. So that's basically in the asset management industry. And I've been pretty fortunate enough to to work most of my career in London, but also spent a couple of years in the U.S., and also 4 years living and working in the middle east um mostly in a, a variety of investment roles um I, I have a macro background um so looking at big big picture stuff and i've had roles like investment manager um, head of desk uh, chief investment officer and also ceo of a middle eastern owned bank um so at lcp i think it's really interesting it's an interesting you you sort of mention um energy transition and the intersection of energy and investment because I found the energy language the lexicon is different from that in investment and I, I do hmm. believe what we're missing sometimes is just somebody to translate that. So can I I'll can say, I
0: start with one translation mark for some of our listeners who may even be with unfamiliar with buy side. Uh, so <laughs> just unpack that a little bit. Yeah,
2: absolutely. Um so so there's lots of different names. Buy side is sort of a colloquial name for Typically, it's the side of the market that ends up buying stuff. So buying equities, buying shares, yeah. um, buying um, bonds, buying private equity, um, sort of assets. So so buying wind farms. Yep. They mm-hmm. often buy them on behalf of um, end investors who we act as agents for. So the vast majority of asset management is is really a mixture of institutional mandates. So big pension funds and sovereign wealths, for example. Mm -hmm. Um, and also some retail that we invest on the behalf of so it's a classic agency role so we buy it and we buy it from the sell side which is typically investment banks for example
0: okay so you're representing the people with the with the money the pension funds the sovereign wealth funds the retail investors and on their behalf buying quality assets for them to own correct yeah um I interrupted you about this, uh, the lexicon and the different terminology that you're coming across as you dig into the energy transition. So are you seeing mismatches or mis- not mismatches, that's maybe the wrong way of putting it, but uh, different languages? Oh, 100%.
2: Um, the, the, I mean, you've just picked me up on, on my buy side uh, 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 example. There are, in in, in any industry, people who act inside that industry normally get familiar with with the language in their industry when you're outside the industry it's often quite difficult to penetrate and what I found is that the investment industry is is rife with acronyms etc you go into the energy world and of course you've got the same thing happening but also there's an underlying technical nature to what's going on in, in the energy transition space so I think what what we see our role at LCP is is acting as almost that that translator, that arbiter, that go-between. And I think what that's on the investment side. And obviously, what is particularly unique about what we do at LCP is that we do have, as you know, the LCP Delta team, which is really that deep technical knowledge alongside the investment team. So it's really synthesizing those two together to actually produce something that is palatable, understandable, and executable by our investors.
0: Okay. Thanks, Mark. Come back to you Shortly, let's say hello to our second guest, Sam Hollister, who sits in LCP Delta's, uh, or the LCP Delta team, which is LCP's energy team. Hello,
3: Sam. Hi, John. Um, Yeah, I'm Sam Hollister, Head of Economics and Finance at LCP Delta. So yeah, I've spent my life in the energy space. Um, Prior to joining LCP, I was Head of Policy and Public Affairs at OVO, um, the energy supplier. Um, And then prior to that, I was Director of Economics at Energy UK. Um, the trade body. So I spent a lot of my time engaging with kind of the utility industry and then with the UK government and regulator, um, you know, helping support policy development. And in particular, kind of looking at that energy transition, um, things like CFDs, capacity markets, but also um, I sat on advisory panels on things like EV. Um, I sat on the electric vehicle energy task force and also decarbonizing heat. So really been focused over the last, um years on UK energy policy and the energy transition so I guess very much in Mark's lexicon sitting in that um, in the energy policy world.
0: (laughs) Okay so between the four of us we've got three who are very much from the energy world and Mark you're all alone and coming from the the investment or finance world. (laughs) Um, Sandra you're on the you're an advisor to an investment company, if I remember right,
1: exactly to junction growth investors, um, investing in scale ups in the new energy world. Yeah. Um, Yeah, they are now active since one year. Um, And it's quite interesting to see also with regards to that translation issue, right, translating from the finance world into the energy world, and then also to the physical connection world, because energy is all about physical connection at one point in time, as Mark was saying, Mm. right, it's like, to a certain extent, deep tech um, necessary, right? Um, but I was thinking probably, Sam, you were working recently on on some topics around big storage. Probably that would make it a bit more lively for our listeners to better understand wh- what you are actually doing there and and what happened.
3: Sure, happy to, to kind of jump into that, Sandra. Um, Interesting, you kind of used the phrase right at the beginning of this podcast. um, You sort of spoke about the transition to a new energy world. And I think nothing quite kind of sums up new energy in my mind than the kind of the the massive transformation in battery storage and how much activity is being driven uh, towards battery storage. We at LCP Delta have done a lot of work, um, both with owners and developers, and also with um, those looking to invest in batteries. In the UK, and um, published a report relatively recently looking at that market, um, and I think that's actually quite an interesting kind of jumping-off point, if you like, looking at some of the kind of the financing and the structure of that market.
0: Sam, that, if, if I remember right, there's something getting on the order of three gigawatts of batteries in the UK now.
3: Yes. Yeah, I think there's about um, around about gigawatt already installed and we're expecting sort of another two or three gigawatts installed just this year. So, yeah, you really have kind of seen a, a massive uptake in, a, in battery development um, and something that you know, is keeping us at LCP Delta very, very um, busy with people mm-hmm. kind of asking questions around the role of batteries and its potential um, revenue streams.
0: Um, where, where's the money for that come from? Uh, Because that's a lot of money for a gigawatt and then another two or three gigawatts
3: of batteries. (laughs) Yeah, I think that's kind of um, a really interesting question. I mean, we've dealt a lot with people looking at kind of the revenues that have been achieved by UK batteries, um, particularly over 2021 and 2022, um, which obviously listeners to this podcast will realise is kind of a very volatile period for of global energy markets, but particularly in the UK, where we saw huge volatility and huge kind of price increases, which unsurprisingly is very good for a battery, really, who can kind of take advantage of that um, price arbitrage. So in 21 and 22, we saw particularly high revenues for batteries, which, as you'd expect from the market, attracted um, developers, attracted um, investors, I think probably less kind of people. Yeah, people were more comfortable with batteries by this point in time, so it wasn't particularly you know speculative. People were being drawn into um, you know seeing the huge opportunity, and actually, what our report has found was that twenty twenty three has been a much tougher year for uh, for battery um, storage in the UK, as that kind of market gets um, a bit more saturated and has almost attracted um, you know those that were looking for those high revenues from the last couple of years. Okay, so
0: an area where money has certainly been flowing into that space, but it's we're still quite specialized and probably not that many investors fully understanding it, fully comfortable with it.
3: Yeah, I think there's kind of a little bit of um, a change in dynamic, I think, from those that have been um, uh, those that have kind of been attracted to those high prices that we've seen. And now our report actually is talking about, well, we still need to huge amount of batteries and storage on the UK system. We are moving to a renewable based system that's gonna be highly intermittent. So therefore, we actually see that there's another 18 gigawatts of batteries due to be built just this decade actually in the UK, but people are gonna have to be a little bit smarter about um, uh, where they think those revenues are gonna come from because we're not gonna be able to kind of extricate the value that we've um, achieved just from, uh, you know, the wholesale market, for example. But John, in answer to your question, who's looking, most conversations we're having at the moment, people are talking about either investing in UK batteries or what those other markets might be, because they're seeing that maybe they're already a bit too late to the UK and maybe perhaps the market is becoming saturated um, and the revenues are slightly tailing off. So people are asking us kind of well, what's, what's the potential other areas that we're going to see a similar market growth potential to what we've seen in the UK. Mark, you
0: had a you had a. Question or points?
2: Yes. Yeah. It's um. It's kind of interesting. We
0: we recently did uh, an energy transition
2: investment management survey, which we conducted over the summer, which I'd like to talk about a little bit more in, in detail. But since we're on the the subject of batteries, we kind of or, or storage, we we actually asked um over a hundred managers where they were invested, and we got some really interesting data back. And In the storage sector um, just looking at it more broadly so co-located battery storage pumped hydro um, hydrogen storage battery is definitely getting an awful lot of attention from the professional investment community probably interesting actually for for us is just to note that hydrogen was was making a really good um, attempt at getting getting sort of shelf space so around 30 20 25 to 30 managers that we surveyed out of that hundred reporting that they'd actually put money into into hydrogen storage. So that's certainly behind battery, where those numbers were, were, were double. Um, so battery storage definitely doubled. But, yeah, certainly echoing Sam's points there, that, that the professional investment community definitely jumping in behind the, the, the battery story.
0: Um, Mark, maybe digging in now to the different types of money you mentioned a few earlier on sovereign wealth funds pension funds Um, but how should how should our listeners who are mainly working in the energy sector think about these different pots of money we hear these big big numbers of trillions of uh, pounds euros dollars looking for a home in the energy sector needing to be invested in the energy sector but in terms of where those where that money is coming from. Can you help our listeners understand a bit about the different money pots, to speak of it in a, you know, in a different way?
2: Absolutely, 100%. Well, let, let's start with some big scary figures. If you, if you take the, um, some, of, some of the numbers that are, that are out there, and these aren't outlandish by any stretch of the imagination. By 2050, to, for energy transition to be a success, we're talking numbers uh, around $200 trillion in cumulative investment now that's staggering that's two times current global output so global GDP so that has to be found from somewhere and what we know from our investment work is that governments are are pretty much stretched in most developed economies so it's not going to be the governments that are going to be riding to the rescue and providing all of that investment money it's got to be the private sector now it's not going to be zero from the government we think government definitely has a role in providing some of that either subsidies or cornerstone investments in in some areas that need a little bit of de-risking but it is the private sector that's got to do that. So some of that will be coming from banks but basically I think that the the main money will be coming from what we collectively call asset owners. So these are the large funds or the large plans around the world that have billions, if not trillions of U.S. dollars of of capital at their fingertips. So we've mentioned sovereign wealth funds. Um, Sovereign wealth funds are obviously the nation state pots of money that have either accumulated naturally or through hydrocarbon revenues or various other routes, but they are there to to be invested. Um, We are also talking about long term pension plans around the around the world. Um, and also some insurance companies. Now the the unifying thing for all of these is a phrase that we we like to to call patient capital. And I think listeners may have heard that bandied around after the Mansion House speech in the summer. Patient capital is basically money that you can invest and lock away for 10 years. And it's that ability to take those long-term investment decisions like a sovereign wealth fund can or, or an endowment, or some charities. These are multi-generational um, pots of money that can afford to place their place their funds in something that they might not see a return um, accruing until 10 years time. So they are the perfect um, targets for infrastructure investment.
0: And, and that's very different, Mark, isn't it, from something listed on the stock market where it's all about next quarter's earnings figures. And it's very short term
2: uh, absolutely. and what you what you tend to find almost definitionally that a company that's listed on the stock market is daily dealing. Hmm. And so can you imagine investing in a wind farm where you're just trying to to literally get permissions for the wind farm to be um, built and constructed, and then all of a sudden one month later, you say, "Oh well, actually can I have my money back?" i mean that that's not that's not possible. Yep. So so yep. the whole idea, the whole structure in the market. Is to, is to really offer these opportunities, but do so in a way where investors know that they are not liquid. In other words, you cannot sell them tomorrow or next week.
1: Okay, so, so it seems there is quite a lot of money around and different opportunities, uh, how it is structured, but what is actually now the best way to get to it, right? If I'm now seeking for a big project, for example, for wind farm or, if I'm looking for battery storage in residential space and I'm looking for money, what is the best approach I should take?
2: Sure. Well, why don't we start with, well, let's start with returns and then we'll we'll look at um, maybe some of the structures. So often what people sort of say um, when they're looking at investments is, you know, how much money can I effectively make? That's that's almost uh, one of the, the good jumping off points. And what we've actually found from our analysis is that the types of returns which are are really um, expressed in the form of IRR so internal rate of returns investors can be expecting after fees returns around 12 percent per annum so what we're seeing is that that's quite a large number that's quite an attractive number and it's larger slightly than what the uh, professional investors would be expecting from the infrastructure space so this seems to be a nice increase uh, for energy transition over standard infrastructure like roads and airports.
0: OK, so it's energy transition is used as more attractive returns potentially than is what you're saying by the investment manager community.
2: Yeah, they, they seem to be. I mean, our, our recent survey suggested that targeted returns from managers were in that 11 to 12 percent region. Which and that's net of fees, so gross, sort of getting up to 15. And then anecdotally, from talking to managers, there, you know, there are a number of projects out there where they where they are achieving those numbers. Um, as you say, um, this is not a new space particularly because people have been investing in these areas for a number of years. But I think the big change for us is you're seeing dedicated energy transition solutions, whereas maybe five or six years ago you were seeing them as part of a broader play for infrastructure assets. So just to answer your question, Sandra, on how people access, well again we we surveyed the market and according to, to our data the vast majority of ways of accessing are through closed ended funds. So what that means is that is a fund that is open for subscriptions for a limited period, then once they have enough subscriptions committed they close, then they spend a couple of years deploying that committed capital and then The next interim interim period, effectively building the assets, constructing, growing the assets, getting the revenue flowing. And then finally, after 10 years or so, 7 to 10 years, they then look to exit those positions and return money to investors. And those returns are where you're getting those um, IRRs of of around 12%. Mark, when you say
0: assets so it's an infrastructure some of our listeners will be thinking okay things i can things with lots of metal concrete stuff in them like a wind farm or a big battery but is also included in that less tangible things like a virtual power plant a software platform that can deploy um, uh, flexibility from thousands of electric vehicles or batteries in people's homes Or could it be financing heat pumps installed in customers' homes? So how widely is the sector thinking of assets today and how widely should it be thinking of what it's actually investing in?
2: absolutely yeah and and, and i think you all of the above is the short answer um and and more um and i think at, at lcp i mean collectively the delta team and the investment team we we mapped some 45 or so subsectors in this particular space that span what we class as sort of the four four main areas so generation storage network and demand so across those four main areas there are a number of different areas that that people can invest in or investors can can get exposure to now i think historically generation has been the now that's been the first part the first sort of group to the party so those big assets so we tend to talk about those i think quite a lot and quite rightly because they do require lots of capital expenditure and they've been around for a while and they're easy to
0: understand aren't they yeah
2: absolutely and, and, and it's easy to sort of you know you can, people can visualize that whereas a virtual yep. power plant a vpp that kind of thing is a lot harder. You probably need a chart. It's not very good for podcasts, uh, for instance, because <laughs> there's no there's no graphic.
0: Um, oh, but I think on. one of our one of so, our paint a very good picture of a virtual pavilion on a podcast. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, I mean I, I'm not even going to try. Um,
2: maybe that's version two or volume two. Um, but from our from our sort of assessment today in the market, um, around 66 percent of the assets that we surveyed were in what we'll class as generation, 7% in storage, 14% in the network, and 13 in demand. So, so in other words, you know, how you um, produce it, store it, move mm. it, and use it. And so, effectively, um, what we're thinking going forward is that, that that generation, whilst all of these numbers, the pie is going to grow, without a shadow of a doubt, there's going to be much more money uh, moving into this area. But what we expect to see is more opportunities on the segments that aren't generation, so the storage network and demand and as you say that demand side is a very vibrant um vibrant area um you know I i was lucky enough to go to the lcp delta um conference in frankfurt last week where we were seeing lots of players on the demand side tons of solutions coming out different levels and um Rates of penetration in different markets, there's clearly some incredibly smart and highly investable things going on in that space.
0: So, I'd like to come back, Sam, in a minute to you and batteries again. But, Mark, just on that, uh, on our summit, Sandra and I did a a podcast uh, last week on the highlights from that. I'm quite interested in what you made of that from an investment lens because there were companies there like Tibber, an energy retailer that's now got a million customers there were energy data platforms like LE Connect to Grid so quite a lot of what you might think of as niche companies but from a from an investor perspective not those companies specifically but in general what did you make of the opportunities for investors from what you saw
2: i mean i i came away hugely energized i mean the the amount of innovation that's going on even within sectors so even within areas there, there are often a number of different competing solutions so there's part of me that says actually there will be some winners and losers out of that without a shadow of a doubt but what i actually saw was the ability of some of these maybe country dominated players to acquire one another so so effectively you've got that cross border acquisition so as an investor that's that's actually an attractive thing then there were people who had a single technical solution that satisfied one part of the market, and then you've got other people who are trying to aggregate those together. And so I could actually see. I mean, if I if I crystal ball this, and you know, maybe we'll talk about crystal ball stuff later. But one thematically, I expect to see over the course of the next ten years that there will be dominant technologies emerging, dominant standards of interconnectivity, and also some dominant pl- players providing those services, possibly with a um with a one single umbrella so in other words one point of contact for the consumer and then with below that lots of multitude of different sort of plug-in not plug-in solutions um, but I don't think the future is a consumer having to source their um storage source their solar source their heat pump and then worry about whether they all talk to each other um I think that's a big headache I don't think we're ready for that yet yeah but that's just personal just a personal view.
1: So it would be then solutions like of Npal or 1.5 or NEOM, you know, where you have everything in one go, um, like uh, even including then the energy tariff potentially.
2: Yes, I mean, some some of those, I mean, the, the, the energy side, I thought was particularly interesting with the ability to have those 30-minute window pricing and have that, have energy aligned with the consumer. In other words, um, not profiting from the provision of energy itself, but the services that go around that. I thought that was a very innovative um, way of looking at things. And I think one that uh, I think a lot of the big incumbents need to wake up to before they're out-competed.
0: So zooming out, you can see ways to connect the the money that you described from pension funds, sovereign wealth funds, etc. to the sorts sort of scale-ups that are happening in the downstream energy transition market. I mean, absolutely. And if I just look at, again, the results of our survey
2: um, in that demand segment, there were some two, four, seven. so we've got some 16 segments that were being allocated to. And the interesting thing is there are, it's a broad um Everything's sort of a flat structure. So there are about the same give or take uh, same amount of investors in each of those areas. Mm. So what that says to me is people are just saying they're all investable. There's lots of opportunity here. And let's see the creativity, creativity in the market um, exert itself and see who the winners are. And the rest, I suspect, will end up being merged yeah so again yeah. that's an you know people can make money from that but yeah it's a very interesting i'm looking at it so sorry again it's a visual um but it's a very interesting because it's a far more flat structure than you see in other areas So hmm. that's just broad application of each of those um, technologies
0: so sam i'd like to come back to big batteries you talked about the growth in the uk the revenues the challenges with those revenues but the fact that finances have got used to putting money into big batteries. Um, Spain is a, an area where there's equal well maybe emerging opportunities for storage and I know you've done some work with uh, Santander I think it is looking at how they might be financed. so how if, if I'm a if I'm an investor I might understand UK and UK batteries. But it's a challenge then, how do I understand Spain and Spanish batteries? You know, is that the purpose of that that paper, what that's for?
3: Yeah, thanks, John. Um, yeah, really interesting, actually, that almost just going back to the UK, and then I'll take us to, to Spain, um, we're already seeing the UK kind of looking for longer duration batteries already, people kind of you know, moving from one hours to two hour batteries, and then perhaps longer than that. Um, and that's going to be kind of the way that the market we can see evolving in the UK. And particularly when you have a kind of very sort of wind dominated system, mm. actually, the need for longer duration batteries is, is probably the next step in that. And ultimately, we can then start to talk about kind of you know, day long battery storage or, or week long, et cetera, et cetera, the need for that when you've got 50 gigawatts of wind on the system. Well, conversely, you then change that to a Spanish type energy system which is going to be more dominated by solar um, and solar PV. But actually you can kind of rely in Spain if you're lucky enough to be living there on the sun uh, shining every day. So actually you can be using that sun during the day and then kind of store that excess to use that overnight um, with the kind of the, the near guarantee that the sun is going to shine again the mm. next day um, and you know, recharge your batteries and bits and pieces. So actually a, a need for much shorter duration um, battery storage. So clearly just on the way that the energy transition is going to happen in in countries like Spain, you can see that actually the need for batteries is going to be huge. Now, where Spain is compared to the UK, and perhaps this is where kind of lessons from from the UK will take shape, is the UK has opened up um, the markets for batteries and provided the revenue streams that have made this investable and provided value to the services that it can provide. For example, frequency response has been a huge driver um for investment because of the revenue streams that have been available from from uh some of the programs that national grid have put in place now countries like spain aren't there yet they haven't quite opened up their markets for things like frequency response issues around kind of the the launching of a capacity market um auction there's another kind of revenue stream for batteries so countries like this, we're seeing perhaps there's a need, but at the moment there isn't quite those revenue streams open to it like we've seen in the UK. So I think the UK has been at the forefront of this. We are looking for for other markets where you can see that the the dynamics are going to be there. Um, perhaps you know if you're you're looking, you might be thinking, well, not yet. I want to see more um, visibility on some of those revenue streams um, before you know investment really starts to pile in, but the Spanish government have set itself some targets around battery storage. They are starting to um, issue grants, for example, around batteries. So almost the UK has been the front runner in this. And as I said, we're still expecting kind of you know, 10 gigawatts of investment um, and deployment just this decade. So the UK will still very much be kind of um, uh, a market to look at. We think that people will need to be a little bit smarter because some of those revenue streams are gonna be kind of you know competed away so how else do you kind of make yourself stand out from the crowd and our report highlights seven key lessons for people to take forward but as the uk kind of people are now having had that experience looking for where else and where next and you know, we've we've done a, as you say a report with santander around the need for uh for batteries in spain and as and when that market opens up so question for sandra you and mark as well
0: sandra your uh the advice your the work you're doing with Junction Growth in terms of uh, investments mark the meeting of the two worlds of energy transition and uh, investors, it gets pretty detailed pretty quickly when you start looking at this space. (laughs) Um, how, How hard does that make the decision making? And is that a potential barrier to money flowing into the sector that there's so many details and every country is different and the regulations move and the market structures move. Maybe Sandra' sort of your experience and Mark then you
1: yeah, I mean you're pinpointing exactly to the right let's say challenge right and to the right barrier because if you're an investment manager um, either you have the you have the advantage of being in a big company and then you can focus on a specific vertical or you get like every day three different kind of um, profiles of companies on your table, which can range from hydrogen so, yeah. yes. to some kind of software um, solution in flexibility, down to new storage systems, right? And all of a sudden you should be knowledgeable around all of these industries, about all the competition, about the further development, about the investment structure, etc., right? So this, is, this can be quite, quite challenging. So what I have seen, and not only with Junction Growth, but also with others, they are trying to focus on certain kind of verticals or of certain kind of growth stages or types of companies, let's say, to also be a bit more consistent in what they are doing. Sometimes even defining focus topics, for example, uh, at least for a certain kind of time to manage these kind of barriers. And sorry for the background noise. <laughs>
0: That's okay. You're getting the benefits from all these events and uh, the the different details that you're you're picking out. No problem. Uh, Mark, how about how about you?
2: Yeah, well, I'm, I'm a
0: big fan of of education.
2: I, I think a lot of things start with education, and 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 um, certainly when you're uh, stewards or looking after or fiduciary for for other people's money, I think it's even more important mm. that that we know what we're talking about. So. Our approach at LCP is we we have a service that we branded LCP Transform, and, and that effectively takes our investors on a journey. And that journey effectively starts with education. So do you understand the fundamentals of energy transition? And so we go in and we spend time with decision makers, making sure they understand the need for energy transition. What is energy transition defined as? Then what is investable in that energy transition? And we draw on the expertise of LCP Delta to have a look at some of the sectors that, that we like and what we don't like. And we have a, a very consistent lens and investment process there to, to look at that. Hmm. And then at the end of that, we, we, we then say, well, OK, what does that mean to you as an investor? So based on that education, you can then make a, a decision about which sectors are more applicable for your particular risk profile. And then we cap that off with knowledge of the market. So I refer to that energy transition investment manager survey. Um, if this isn't an academic exercise, this is about putting money to work in real projects, in real companies. So what we do is we then spend time having a look at the investment managers to see which of those that we like, the way they're doing things. We like what they're exposed to and what they're exposed to is aligned with what we've agreed with the client. So that is how we're really seeing the bridging of the gap between people hearing about energy transition and not quite putting the dollars in the ground. And so that's a great way of, of 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 bridging that gap.
0: Yeah. So there's a lot of detailed work to do then to get these two worlds to really know each other well and uh, ultimately for investors to be comfortable with investing in the energy transition.
1: But I think this makes it also exciting.
0: Yeah, it does. It's exciting and I think it's, we can't just sit back and hope the money will flow. I think there's lots of active work that needs to be done on both sides. Uh, and I guess, Mark, that's the job you're doing. Sam, the job you're doing is that that active work to help the two sides understand each other and ultimately that money to flow. Yep. OK, let's bring out the talking new energy crystal ball. And I'm going to set the dial this week to just three years ahead. 2026. And Mark and Sam, from being in 2026, looking back in the last three years, I'd like you to pick out one development or trend, uh, one thing that's happened in that three-year period about the flow of capital from investors into the energy transition
2: okay i mean that, that's a three three years is not a huge amount of time. I was kind of hoping you were going to give me ten because then no um, tens
0: the easy tens easy yeah. three hard
2: <laughs> no, no one will remember the answer um well in in the u k from a UK perspective obviously we've got um we've got an election looming and mm. really not not sure what that's going to going to yield yet, but I think if you go back to the mansion house speech um what I think has become abundantly clear is that we do have large pots of capital available and the mansion house speech you know you look at the the u.s version ira and there's you know also the the european version there are a lot of government that are now looking to the private sector to say you need to mobilize capital so a fairly confident prediction i think i'm going to make is that we will see a lot more capital flowing into this area with a very strong hand or strong guidance from government behind it not telling you where to put your money just suggesting to you that you should really be doing it for the for the good of the not only the economy actually for but broader society and, and the yeah. planet so i think that's that's one and, and maybe slightly more micro i think as this money starts to flow and people become more familiar then you're going to see a little bit of differentiation between People instead of people just choosing global managers that that put their money everywhere, you might see lots more managers who are out there saying, Look, we are experts in hydrogen. So mm. we will just invest in the hydrogen vertical or we are experts in um electric vehicles. Electric or, vehicles or, yeah. or demand yeah. side, yeah. yeah. So you'll ha- you'll have that specialism and, and that is natural, I think, in any market. You you yeah. start yeah. global and then you, you become more specialized as knowledge increases. So yeah. I do expect, I mean, that's starting to happen already, but it's very nascent levels. Yeah. Okay. Thanks, Mark.
0: Sam? Uh, I,
3: I will take the liberty of doing what Mark did and have two answers. Um, I will reflect on the fact that, you know, I, I would think that the trend towards energy transition is deeply enough set, um, both with investors and with the public, um, that, you know, the, the transition continues apace despite kind of things like, you know, the recent government announcements around, um, you know, the, the pushing back of the EV deadline and low carbon heat. I think that, you know, enough people, um, particularly actually interesting, what I found really interesting was Mark's discussion just around the internal rate of return and kind of what that looks like uh, compared with normal kind of infrastructure type investments. Quite pleasing to see that, you know, we we'll actually you're not giving away money in order to invest in the energy transition. You actually get kind of the similar returns plus the kind of the, the benefits from the from the sort of ESG type activities. So hopefully the, the kind of the three years um, trend will kind of continue. Um, and that's certainly what I expect. And I think then looking back, I kind of think, well, actually, where will we be on kind of the next iteration of kind of technologies? And that probably is things around low carbon power such as carbon capture and storage and hydrogen I think you know we can probably say if we put ourselves in our shoes three years ago the thing that we were really pushing for was battery storage and we could see the kind of the need for that I would say as we kind of head towards the latter part of this decade actually where we're getting that kind of low carbon firm um, power from will be the kind of the area of that kind of or what's what needs to be pushed throughout the 2030s so I would hope that we are starting to kind of get whether that's Policy clarity or technology clarity, not too sure, but I think at this precise moment in time, I don't think anyone could quite call where we're going to land on that. So hopefully in three years' time, we'll have a little little bit more um, uh, development in that space. Okay.
0: Thanks, Sam. Thanks, Mark. Thanks very much for your time and sharing your thoughts. Um, Sandra, any sort of final observations, thoughts on what we've heard today?
1: Yeah. So. What becomes again clear, I think, is that the money is there. Mm. Um, I think the money is there. The money wants to get into the energy market. So there is enough motivation, I think, also from the financial sector. But there's really still a lot of work to be done with regards on how to make that happen. And as Mark was saying, a lot around education, a lot around communication, support Mm. also on both sides, right? On the energy side as well as on the financial side to bring both worlds together. Uh, and to make them even speaking the same language, or at least in a way that they can understand each other much, much better, right? Yeah. Um, but I think it will be the right way. What's your What's your key takeaway?
0: Um, similar, there's a lot to do. And normally, Sandra, I feel very excited when there's a lot to do. Uh, with this, I feel slightly daunted, I think, as to how much work there is to do, how quickly to bring these two uh, two industries together. Um but we absolutely have to do that. And I think through what we heard about big batteries, for example, it's it's actually very encouraging how quickly new investable sectors or subsectors of the energy transition can develop. So um while there's a lot to do, I think we can look at examples of where money's flowing really well into certain subsectors of the energy transition. So Maybe I'm feeling part daunted, part excited, but uh, yeah, a huge amount to do in the next years. But what an opportunity and what a, what a privilege to work in this area.
1: Exactly, exactly. And we can make it happen yep. all together. Yep. Thank you very much.
0: OK, well, thanks, everyone. Uh, thanks for listening, as always. And look forward to welcoming you back of the next episode of Talking New Energy soon. Thanks and goodbye.
1: Thanks for tuning in. We are excited to bring you captivating conversations from the leading edge of Europe's energy transitions. If you've got suggestions for topics or guests for future episodes, please let us know.
0: And if you're enjoying the podcast, then please do rate it and share it with colleagues. For show notes, transcripts and more, please visit lcpdelta.com.